I've heard of a lot of things banned in the church before, but this one here, this is a new one. We, we couldn't even, we couldn't even watch Scooby-Doo, and my mom never <laughs> watched it long enough. <laughs> she never watched it long enough to find out they really weren't demons. They were, just, you know, criminals in disguise. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then when my kids were little, you know, like, my mom, my mom bought them Scooby-Doo books. I think she felt guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Eric Gilkin, and this is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into conversations about life and faith. A friend was describing how he was training two former pastors to sell insurance. Every time they met with clients, the pastors only talked about themselves. He kept on telling them, how are you going to know the needs of your clients if you don't listen to them? And how can you listen to them if you don't give them a chance to speak? His comments made me think about myself. Do I listen to the needs of my clients, and do I give them a chance to speak? I know I should dress that up into better pastor language, but out of this conversation came the idea for Ordinary Voices. The show is designed to help give voice to spiritual thoughts of everyday people in order to listen. So your role is to listen, and I'm going to ask you to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors allow children to express themselves without overreacting, without shutting down the words as wrong or a bad thing to say. They listen to what the camper is trying to say. Counselors who listen encourage great conversations in the future. So, before I invite you into this conversation, I want to warn you, you're probably going to hear something you disagree with or you may find shocking. Take a deep breath, remember Christian compassion, sing Kumbaya and put on your counselors as we begin today's show, Easter's Lost Souls. Recently, my wife was stunned when a relative confessed this to her. If I was younger and raising a family today, I don't think I would even attend church. What made it stunning was the source. I mean, we've all heard millennial angst with the church, but this reflection, this confession, was coming from the World War II generation. A person in her 80s who had endured church conflict, balanced the demands of family and career, and through it all rarely missed a worship service or a Bible study. Yet today, she is lost. Most people will never consider just how lost she is because she's in church all the time. They don't think it's an issue. Easter worship services are a unique collection of lost souls. The people who are connected to the church will be there, but there will be the sense of feeling lost as they look around and see the people who used to attend. Then there's the people disconnected from the church, and a feeling of being lost will capture them as they remember their past relationship with the church. Then you'll have the people who are fulfilling a family obligation in order to keep peace in the house by going to church. They are lost because the whole experience will feel somehow disingenuous to them. I wanted to talk with someone for whom church has lost meaning but not relationship. Maybe in listening to this person, we can hear our own struggles and better understand the struggles of others. And hopefully through it all, we can find some meaning to the issue of faith. 
So let's listen to one of Easter's lost souls as she describes her relationship to the church. to church and dad stayed at home okay and it wasn't that he hadn't been raised with faith i think that i don't know i've never really asked him but i really get the impression like he just didn't feel comfortable with the church that my mom was attending from what i remember it was non-denominational but now looking back and there were really really good people there so mm-hmm really good people, very authentic people, but it was very much a fundamentalist church. Members were told that they should be homeschooling their kids. They started a school in the church, and my sister and I attended for like a year and a half, and we left there with some significant deficits when we returned to public education. Nothing that we couldn't like recover from. Right look back on those years they I think some of my worst bullying happened during those years or that year and a half and from teachers or from kids from kids okay yes yeah when I think back of it I think you know I never remember like sunny green days I just remember very cloudy wet like right spring you know I don't I don't have happy thoughts that are attached to it at all you know, like, that time in that church instilled a lot of morals. And I do feel that at that time I was very, very close to God. Mm-hmm. And so I don't I don't regret that time. But my mom, what happened was she returned to college. So she had her AA and she returned for her BA. Um, she later was an ESL teacher. Mm-hmm. And she said after she spent some time back in school, it just completely changed her perspective and kind of opened her up to see what the church really was. And not that it was bad per se. Like, oh, like everything would give me that sick, bad feeling like I was doing something wrong. Right. You know, I like lived in fear for a very long time. You know, even to this day, like how many years later and I'm talking about it wondering, should I be talking about this? You know? Right. It's just, um, so that, that's, that's not good. And we left. It wasn't paste or anything. I think, you know, I think she had said, well, we need to go to a church where there are more kids our age. And she, she honestly felt that way. Um, but it was just kind of a way to break away. But Then we spent a few years looking at different churches, and I think that's when I witnessed what lack of authenticity looked like and what wealth in the church looked like. Hmm. And that was discouraging as well. After coming from that and seeing this, I just... Yeah. I, I didn't want to raise my children that way. We went through a period of time where we were attending regularly. We've raised them to know God. You know, they do still go to Bible camps, and but um, I'm really afraid of raising them um, with religion and that sense of fear. I think I'm definitely my mother's daughter in that sense because she equates spirituality with social justice, and so do I. 
Sally speaks in contradictions about her experience in the church. The people who were authentic also planted a sense of fear. She was close to God, but there were no sunny days. People were warm and caring, but she's afraid of raising her children in that fear. I heard her contradiction as confusion. A confusion of balancing spiritual meaning with human experience. Something in the church provided deep meaning, a meaning she still yearns to find. Yet authentic or not, it was not a place of security or affirmation. As I thought about it, I bet I would hear the same struggle with my wife's relative. Before we continue, I want to give you a little background on Holly. Holly and her husband are very gifted and innovative teachers. They were both hired by a public school system to develop an alternative school. Their approach involves engaging civic leaders with students into problem-solving situations. The solutions the students develop are then worked back into the community. It's not only a unique approach to education, it's a completely innovative approach to civic leadership. But that's not why I want you to listen. I want you to hear how her spirituality comes to life through her profession, and how her approach to teaching is shaped by the experiences of her youth. desperately looking for an opportunity to find themselves and find their strengths mm-hmm. because I see like a, a lot of our students will come in and they will say to us well you know I'm not it's not that I'm dumb I just don't, I don't learn that way mm-hmm. and it's so it's such a terrible thing to hear them say mm-hmm. because they come in and they think that they're broken and when they're given opportunities and they find their voice and they find their strengths, they, they realize there's absolutely nothing, there's nothing wrong with them. There's something wrong with the system. Right. And, um, you know, later they'll say, I'm so glad I came here. I'm so glad I, I'm fixed. And I, and I always say, there was absolutely nothing wrong with you when you entered that door. There's something wrong with the system. And the only thing that we offered you was an opportunity, but you were the one who took that opportunity and made something amazing of that opportunity. It's so sad. They just, at times, they just, they, they, they think something's wrong with them. They don't understand that there's not just one way to learn. They are just very creative human beings who are just aching to do something with that creativity. Where we're at, um, we work with... Um, different community collaborators and we work on social innovations we take like a problem that's in society and we work toward a resolution as we teach them the skills that they would they would get in a typical classroom but instead of just simulations and transferring information we use that information to work on a social innovation that's breathtaking to think about engaging a a culture outside of that school yes because the beautiful thing too is then these people from the outside who our students see as it's almost like they see them as superstars you Mm. know because they're these important people in our community and they're collaborating with our students and then they'll see them outside and they will, you know, say, hey, how are you doing? And, you know, and, and all of a sudden, 
they have people who notice them. There's validation in that. Mm-hmm. And um, there's just confidence, too. They're working with adults. The adults coming in and saying, hey, you are intelligent. You're an innovator. I need some help with this. Let's work together. Right. And so oftentimes the, t- the students are teaching the community members. Where do you find spiritual renewal? I think injustice. I think when seeing social justice in action, mm-hmm. and that somebody's been validated, and mm-hmm. you know, some people say nature, and sure, I get it from nature as well. I don't know, and then like from other people's joy. I don't know. I can't. I could roll into work and have had a really chaotic morning and I could be very stressed and I could sit with a group of kids and I they just bring me back to life mm-hmm. where did where would you say do you find yourself spiritually empty in any place um yeah confused like I have an 18 year old son who in the last year you know has become this self-proclaimed atheist. Mm-hmm. And I said, do you even know what an atheist is? You know, we had those conversations. And I think he was confused. Mm-hmm. But what, what I'm finding is, I don't know, he's having the same struggles, I think, that a lot of us do with faith right now. And I think that, you know, you had mentioned, you know, the media. And... All he all he is seeing is he's associating Christianity with extreme Christianity. Mm-hmm. And it's all over the news. And, you know, and I hate to get into politics, but, you know, you have Trump supporters who are proclaimed Christians and um, are self-proclaimed Christians. And they're doing terrible things. And so he sees this and says, I don't want a part of this. And it's so bad that he says, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm headed in the opposite direction because I know this is wrong. And, you know, I've had many conversations with him saying, you don't have to believe that you're tied to a religion, but you are still spiritual. He's an artist. He's creative. Um, he, he has his own sense of awe. He understands that, you know, there's this giant universe and there's something there. But day by day, all he's, all he's seeing is um, people who state that they are Christian participating in really evil acts. Mm-hmm. And that's confusing his own belief. And I think I find emptiness in him and I worry about it, and I think that goes way back to a childhood that says, you know, you have to ask Christ as your Savior in order to, you know, I'm still tied to that, and so I do have emptiness in that way. I do see.
As I listened to Holly reflect on her son's wrestling with spirituality, I heard two things. One is an issue many parents deal with, passing on important pieces of family identity to our children and the pain that surfaces when they struggle with this identity. The other thing is something I picked up on in re-listening to our conversation. Holly said that religion was a word she found too confining, but it seemed to me that spirituality was too broad. Trying to reconcile these two feelings also causes her confusion, and I wonder how many people out there struggle with that same problem. I know I'll sit here and I'll think about the 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 connection with the church. Yours, your connection with the church. That um, I was expecting um, um, a more um, combative relationship, like they kicked you out of the church and <laughs> put a put a shun dress on you and pushed you out the door, you know. And, um, they, they, they even they prayed over us. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, you know, said, you know, go do what you need to do. And then, like I had mentioned, you know, then the pastor came back and prayed with my dad as he was going through a very frightening time. And right. yeah, no, right. they, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about, just about the authenticity. Like their beliefs were extreme for mm-hmm. us. But they were really authentic in what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, yeah, I think authenticity is everything. But I think I live and die by authenticity. Like, you know, you, you talked about, um, um, I don't know, I don't know, it was along the lines when we were talking about authenticity. I remember one of my students saying, you know, he was like, you know what, we have really good BS meters. Like, we get it when people are just feeding us a line and I think that's why a lot of our students they don't like the simulation and they don't like the worksheets because they see that as a form of of just of of fake Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know they want something authentic and purposeful Mm -hmm. and um I think uh, you know it's just it's just they just don't believe in that kind of a system right well I, I would say all kids are are amazing BS detectors Amazing, <laughs> and it, and it's an only thing that the only thing that they they it, the only thing that it depends on is to, are they gonna are they gonna tell you about it or are they gonna drift away, and yes. um, it's been amazing on some of the things that even with Britt and Peter and things that minor things where they they've called either Peggy or I out as being unauthentic wow. about it and. You know, it's it's a hard thing to hear from your kids, but it's also, I like hearing it. Oh, yeah, um, you know, it's it's really funny that you say that it was um, last year. So Hayden was, Hayden was five, Porter was seven. Josh and I were having an argument, and Josh said to me, listen, fine, we can do it your way, or we can do it my way. You know, but whatever, if, if you know, like it was an all or nothing right. conversation. 
And Hayden, at age five, and I know he picked this up, at, you know, at school, mm-hmm. and bless his teacher, because he said, "Now, now wait." <laughs> so I have this five-year-old saying, "No, no, just, just calm down for a minute and wait." And he said, "Now he has his plan, and you have your plan." And I just looked at him and giggled, and I said, "Yes." And he said, "Why can't they be kind of like? Why can't you put those plans together?" And Porter looked at me, age seven, and said, "Yeah, why can't why can't you synergize? Why can't we synergize? Like, what, what's with this?" With <laughs> Josh, <laughs> we like, our eyes were huge, and we just looked at each other and shook our heads and thought, "Okay, they're getting a really good education for one." <laughs> and two, we were like. We have a line in our house for that kind of behavior. When our kids call us out like that, <laughs> what is it? we look at them and we say, Hey, you shut up when you're talking to me. That's the kind of code word that we use for, yeah, we, we hear you, we, you got us. <laughs> One of the most important things to draw from this part of our conversation is this. We don't always live up to our own standards of authenticity. Even the best people can be full of BS. Whether you like it or not, in our own way, we're all hypocritical. Listening to people tell you things you don't want to hear is critical to building enduring relationships. The difficult hurdle to get over is can we speak and receive these words in love? Listening is necessary for authentic Christian community, and authentic Christian community is the very thing most people are yearning to find. This final dialogue was too beautiful to edit down. I needed to let it play out with all the stumbled speech and pauses. I think it speaks for itself, and I hope you enjoy it. It's a model that you were talking about before. Is like there's there's some there might be something they're broken, but they can identify what's broken. They don't need me to identify what's broken. And you they know? were broken, is the thing. Like mm-hmm. they're not they're not broken. They just were not in a system where they were able to locate their strengths. Right. And, and yeah, when you let when you let and they'll explore. Well, they'll 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 eventually through that system they'll identify what's broken doesn't work or what's not in within themselves those things those things they'll be able to we we all have those kind of things and but it's whether we let those things define us yes exactly right that's so beautifully put yes you know and that's it um, don't you think it's also like as as you get older you realize the beauty in those broken parts and the fact that you know I came from this incredible family my parents, you know, like we just talked about my mom was very religious my parents um, you know, my mother was a teacher mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, 
great education uh, or really strongly in education and I fell off the deep end like my 10th grade year um, and I didn't graduate on time which you know now I'm working on a second master's and then a grab you know my first I had a 4.0 I mean like, mm-hmm. you know there was nothing wrong with my intelligence mm-hmm. and you know there was just um a lot of uh a lot of peer pressure a lot of a lot of um emotions you know just just it was um a bad point in my life and so I, I always looked at that as like my greatest failure like I did not I did not graduate on time and now it's so refreshing to be to meet a student for the first time and to look at their look at their credits and they're not able to graduate on time and they're like well i mean it'll be okay and i'm like um yeah it works out just fine and especially when their parents are sitting there Mm -hmm. and i say um yeah well i didn't and i'm working on a second masters and then they just they they gasp and i'm Mm -hmm. like this moment in time does not define like it does not define who you are going to become later on Mm -hmm. you use it as fuel and you think in those times where things go wrong, you don't think, oh, this is terrible. You think, okay, like, God, what am I supposed to learn from this? Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do with this information? And then what you learn as you get older is you, even in the worst of times, sometimes you get excited because you think, okay, hey, wait, this is this is a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to get something from this. Right. And so then, like you said, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't define you. Right. But you're able to look at it as like, oh man, I'm glad that happened because now I have this strength and, or I have, you know, this testimony that I can share with someone else and just say, hey, you're fine and you will be fine. Right. Okay, now that you said that though, when we had talked on the phone before, you had talked about this call to be um, a missionary. Mm-hmm. Well, how did that go again? Did was that when they were praying over you? Yeah, they were praying over me and said that, you know, like, this child will be a missionary, and you know, um, at some point, I guess, in her life. Right. Yeah. Do you feel like you are? Um, yeah, I feel like, um, but not, not in the traditional sense of, of a missionary, like, um, you know, I think I think that so often we look at Christianity or we look at God and think, okay, if you mission, you have to be talking about God. Mm-hmm. And in that in that traditional sense, no, I'm not. But I talk about you know justice and and I tell students daily there's nothing wrong with you you are okay you know and i i help them work through problems and um i don't even know how to articulate this the way that i should um but i don't know there's there's um there's a level of psychology i just feel that not psychology i just insight there's a level of insight that i gained from my own experiences, mm-hmm. and then um, just just 
I don't know, just being, just being a teacher and I don't even know how to say this. No. Like, I have no idea how to talk this out, but, um, I don't know. Um, hmm. Like, just, okay, so, you know, I have a student who might have made a terrible choice. Um, definitely there has to be consequence because they need to, they need to learn from that experience. Mm -hmm. But I feel like their whole, in, in, in their, in their lives, they have felt shame. I feel like at times they can't separate the behavior from their sense of self. Mm -hmm. So they feel as if they are bad people. Mm -hmm. And I think that I'm able to say to them, you, you have to be able to separate those two things. You have to know that, yes, you made a bad choice, but you're not leaving here a bad person. You are still an incredibly good person. And when I have those conversations with students, there are times that they just, they just, just, um, they just break out into tears mm -hmm. because somebody has said, you're okay. This isn't about you. This is about the choice that you made. You are a good person. And some will look at me and say, but no, I'm not. And I know you don't understand. We've all made terrible choices, but you are inherently good. You just, you just need to work on that. And also they think that they're going to oftentimes, so, so many times, actually, I'll have students who experience, you know, they make a bad choice, they experience a consequence, and they think in that moment, okay, I'm going to change. Like, this mm -hmm. is going to change me. And then they go on to make, you know, poor choices again. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, you know, this, like, people don't change in an instant. Because that, that that's not that's not that's not I hate the term normal because what is normal but it, it isn't it's not mm -hmm. it's not normal to it, it's something you have to you ha, you have breaking habits is a very very difficult process mm -hmm. it takes time you know and so when I go through all of these scenarios and I have these conversations and I you know working like with students to find their strengths and they're collaborating and they see that they can change the world. Mm -hmm. That I can work to fix a problem, and I matter, and I'm validated. Then mm -hmm. yes, I feel, and on you know, in a non-traditional sense, that there is a that I am in some way. I don't know, like you know, it's interesting to me when I listen <laughs> there and I listen to that. You know, I could sit there and see the way you articulated that. A traditional Christian person hearing politically correct, soft language, and that's not really the church. But what yes. you, but at its very core, what you have done in there is proclaimed what the forgiveness of sin is all about. Yes, yes, exactly. It, and it's like there's that. To me, when I look at that generation of people that are, are, don't have lost that kind of connection with the church, how do, you, how do you understand that's exactly what the forgiveness of sin is about? You, yes. you make a bad choice, that bad choice does not claim your life. There is a new tomorrow. Mm -hmm. and, and it'll take you, like you said, it'll take time to adjust that behavior. 
But you know what? You're gonna find a new you're gonna find a new bad choice in your life. Yes. <laughs> we, we we always do, and it's and 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 I sit there and I I. I sit there and I hear that and I'm just always like, um, yes, that's wrong, but you're, you're forgiven. I mean, you, you're paying the penalty yes. for those bad choice. The, the difficult bad choice is your choice and there's going to be consequences for it, but it doesn't claim you. Yes, exactly. You know, and... and, and I think I struggle, like, saying yes, I feel like in a sense I'm serving as a missionary too because I hate the feeling that comes with that the idea that if you're doing mission work you're saving someone I hate that I'm not there to save anyone you know like mm-hmm. that's not you know and and when I sit with students they inform me like I learn so much from them and 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 I'm better able to talk to another student and it's and it's its own collaboration right right you know? and that's why I guess the whole idea of missionary it's like you're going to send information and you're going to save someone and that is not what my role in life is that, I'm not here to save people I just am here to like at least in my own tiny minute minute little way bring some kind of justice to what's going on but I mean but you are saving people and the funniest thing that's interesting is those same people that you're saving are saving you. They're totally saving right? you. Right? Yes. Completely. <laughs> yes. It gives that- me hope. The day after I interviewed Holly, I was listening to a wonderful podcast called Pray As You Go. It's produced by the Jesuits of Britain and has become my morning devotion. On this day, as Holly's words were deep within my mind, words like authenticity, fear, validation, confusion, the joy of discovering hidden talents and spirituality, I listened to the Jesuits read John chapter 8 verses 12 through 16 and pray. Let me read those for you now. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying on your own behalf. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus said, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid because I know where I have come from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is valid, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. The Jesuits then pointed out, Pharisees judge by human standards. Yet Jesus, who has the authority to judge, ends up refraining from judging. They asked the listener to pray on this question. Do you judge by human standards, or do you refrain from judging? It made me think of how much human judgment defines our sense of authenticity, builds fear, destroys our sense of worth, and ultimately clouds our ability to see God. I'm going to refrain from judging, well, as best as I can, by not telling you what is wrong, how to fix it, or what you should do. I'm going to invite you to consider these questions. 
Do you let human behavior get in the way of your relationship with God? And where do you judge others and yourself by human standards? And how can you refrain from judging? The Jesuits continued, Jesus knew where he came from and where he was going. Do you know where you come from and where you are going? This made me think of Holly's spiritual emptiness. Her sons struggle with atheism. My own children struggle with faith. How much of this is a confusion of identity, belonging, and relationship? Do you know where you come from? This might sound strange to some, but I don't go to church to be a better person. I go to remember my identity, to remember who I am, to give thanks for this gift I have no idea how I received, life. To know that God, like a loving parent, is all right with my imperfections and delights in my presence, even when everyone else around me is not. The discipline of attending worship has guided me through many times of doubt. The obligation of going when I was home to keep peace in the house sustained me during the period of my life where I wanted nothing to do with faith. The relationship with it now restores me when I'm lost and feeling abandoned. I'm not always sure about where I'm going, but I learned at an early age to be comfortable with not having all the answers. And just think about it, I have the test scores to prove it. The Jesuits ended with this question. Is there some area of your life where you want Jesus to shed light on? This is exactly what my conversation with Holly was all about. Our talk was Christ shedding light on an area of our life that was dark. Holly knew it, and I knew it. And this is how the Spirit works. Sometimes we try so hard to find God, we become blind to what God looks like. We pray in ways too complicated to explain or even understand sometimes. Then an encounter happens, and something deep within us comes to light. The presence of the risen Christ. May you all discover God's presence in your life this Easter morning. of all ordinary voices i want to thank you for listening join me next week when our show will be about race well actually it started out to be about race but i think it ended up being more about my hometown painesville ohio and how a town influenced its children about race and what the world can learn from our experiences just a quick word on how this show is progressing i'm spending some intense time getting three shows recorded when these shows are completed i'm going to make the jump to itunes and beyond By that time, I hope to have the Ordinary Voices website up and running as well. Until then, I would just appreciate you sharing this with your friends, liking it on Facebook, following it on Twitter, listening to it, reading the blog, buying the action figure doll when it comes out. Okay, there is no action figure, but I thought the demand for one would be a bold sign of support. Take care and God bless.